Evening, everyone. My name's Tom, if I haven't met you before. I'm the Associate Minister, which I think means, well, I don't know what it means. Um, yeah, I'm not sure what it means. Um, okay, so we're looking at 1 Thessalonians, right? And last week we, we looked at the first chapter, and we saw how to find real joy. If you remember what we looked at when we looked at that, we said that you find real joy in the gospel. So as you believe in Jesus, um, as that works out in your life and you follow him and follow him with service, your heart will be filled with joy. And then we also saw the value of modeling. So this idea that, um, that that the Thessalonians followed Paul and Timothy and Silas, um, and and Paul and Timothy and Silas followed Jesus, and the question was, who do we follow? Well, in a sense, we're following the Thessalonian Christians, right? Because even though 2,000-odd years have passed, we're still looking back and reading about their actions and following them. So this week, we're going to look at two things. The first thing we're going to look at is how to be a joy Um, as a leader in God's church. And the second thing that we're going to look at is how to be a joy to those who lead you as well. So put your hands up if you're a leader. Any form, any level in the church, put your hand up if you're a leader. Leading one person, leading multiple. Okay, that's a few of you. Put your hand up if you're a follower. Yeah, okay, that's pretty much everybody. Yeah, we're all leaders, all followers. There's something in the sermon for each one of us. Uh, why don't I pray? Father, we pray that you would be with us tonight. As we look at your word, we pray that you would speak to us. Father, as you speak to us, we pray that we would listen and that you would change us and make us more like Jesus. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. So, think hypothetically for a second. If you could... Pick any combination of character traits for your leaders in your church. What would they be? What would you want your leaders to be like? Have a think, and if you need to speak to somebody next to you, you can speak to somebody next next to you while you're doing this. But just have a think about that, what you would want your leaders to be like if you could choose any character traits for them. How would you want them to lead? Yeah, John and Jesus is not a character trait. <laughs> Any brave people want to volunteer an answer? What would you choose for your leaders to be like? Humble, yeah. Loving, loving faithfulness, yeah. Anybody? Compassion, yeah, what was that, Ollie? Redheads, yeah, I think, I think being a ranger is a good trait. Put that out there. Everybody should be a ranger. No, please don't everybody be a ranger. <laughs> Anybody else? God-fearing, Anna? Having integrity, yeah. Having a deep voice. 
Okay, I'm sorry to disappoint you. <laughs> Anybody else? Wise. Wise, yep. So John went over a bit of this. I'm not, I'm not going to spend too much time on it because of that. Thank you for those answers, by the way. Um, John went over this, so I'm not going to spend too much time on it. Um, but 1 Thessalonians, a letter written... Well, from it's, so if you look at the address, it's Paul, Silas, and Timothy. Um, if you look at how it's written, it's probably Paul on behalf of Silas and Timothy, writing to this church at Thessalonica. Um, now, the thing is this, that... If you go and look at Acts 17, 1 to 10, which tells you the story of the planting of that church, what you'll notice is that Paul and Silas particularly didn't spend a great deal of time in Thessalonica. They were actually only there for a couple of days. The, the, the uh, idiot's guide is, um, and this is mainly for me, not for you, uh, is that they got there, they preached in the synagogue, which is what Paul often did as he, as he turned around spreading the gospel. And um, he preached, and some people believed, and other people got really upset, and it wasn't very long before they were kicked out of the town. They had to smuggle them out at night. So they didn't have a huge amount of contact with the church, though Timothy is sent back, as, as you'll see a bit later, Timothy was sent back um, at a later stage to, to go and spend some time with them. But really, we can look at them and go, well, they didn't have a great deal of time there. And yet, if you read 1 Thessalonians, it's pretty clear that they had a leadership role in the church. Now, I said that Paul and Silas had to leave quite quickly. It was actually at the dead of night that they, they left uh, Thessalonica. And perhaps it's, it's that, quick le- uh, that quick leaving that, that he has in mind as he writes these two chapters of 1 Thessalonians. For some reason, he's worried, it seems, that they thought badly of him. Perhaps it was because he had heard some rumors. Do you know how rumors spread? Perhaps somebody had said to somebody who said to somebody something, and he heard it and went, oh, they hate me because I left too quickly. Perhaps he just sat there and thought, well, if I was them, I would hate me for leaving quickly, so they must hate me. We don't know which of those it was or if it was another one. Either way, we see pretty much two chapters of him defending his leadership um, and his ministry at Thessalonica. As it, as it turns out, um, if you go and look at chapter 3, verse 2, um, he goes, it's up there, thanks, Eliza. She's very efficient. Um, apparently, they sent Timothy back, and Timothy came back to Paul after that visit and said, actually, they don't have a problem with you at all. They quite like you. They fondly remember your time um, in Thessalonica. So as we look at Paul defend himself and his ministry and Silas's ministry and Timothy's ministry, what we see is a picture of what a leader in God's church should be like. Okay, now it's, this is what it's not. It's not a list of the qualities or of the gifts that leaders need to have, what qualifies you or disqualifies you from ministry. It's not one of those lists. You can go to 1 Timothy, you can go to Titus if you want to see that. This is simply answering the question, this is what you need to be like as a leader if you're going to bring joy to those you lead. And here's the reason I say that. 
Remember we spoke about modeling last week. Well, Paul puts himself up there and says, if you, if you want to be godly, look at me. I model Christ, you model me. In leadership, we can say the same thing with him, I think. Look at how he led and model him if you want to be a good leader. So the two verses in this passage, um, chapter 2, verse 11 and 12, that I'm going to kind of base what we talk about tonight around. I think they summarize what the, verse, uh, what the section of Scripture is about. It says this, For we know that you know that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children, encouraging, comforting, and urging you to live lives worthy of God who calls you into his kingdom and glory. So verse 11 is about what leaders are to be, like a father with his own children. Verse 12, excuse me, could you mute me please? Sorry about that. Thanks, John. Verse 12 is about what it looks like to be a father, um, what it looks like to be a father with his own children. So that's encouraging, comforting, urging each of them to live a lives worthy of God who calls us into his kingdom. So the question is, why does Paul use this father metaphor? Why does he say you're supposed to be like a father with his children? Now, I don't know what your relationship with your father is like. As, as I talk to people, I realize that, that some have had quite strained relationships with their parents. Imagine if that's you. Imagine what the perfect father would be like when I ask this question. Those of you that look at your dads and go... My dad's wonderful. Just imagine your dad. You can do either. So what do you think of fathers when you... What do you think of when you think of fathers? What are some of the words that come to mind, some of the ideas that come to mind? Fathers are. You can answer. Yep, loving, prayerful. Protector. What else? Stern. Teacher, yeah. What about provider? That's one. Educator. Nurturing, those are all the ones I write down, protecting. Though if you go and look at verses 7 to 10 in chapter 2, you'll see that Paul doesn't only say that we are like to be like fathers to those we lead. We are also to be like mothers, and specifically nursing mothers. So if you think of your mother, and particularly you think of nursing mothers, and that's the, the picture that, that Paul paints... Now, here's the thing with mothers, right? So, I was up at 2 o'clock this morning, 3 o'clock this morning. I sleep very badly, so I occasionally wake up at all sorts of odd hours. Um, 
it was really cold. And, and yet, I can guarantee you that there were mothers up feeding their children at that time. Why would they do that? Luke's nodding. <laughs> Why would they do that? What would possess somebody to get out of their warm bed at three o'clock in the morning to go and feed their child? Love. Look, if I am... Um, actually, let's just do an experiment, Cat. If I phoned you up at three o'clock in the morning and said, I'm hungry, what would you do? Slam down the phone. Yeah, block my number, send your husband to beat me up. Perfectly legitimate thing to do, I think, under the circumstances. Would not be good. You like me, you're my friend, but you wouldn't take that from me. I hope you like me. I think you're my friend. Um, but you wouldn't do that from me because you still love me in that way. And yeah, you would get up and feed your child three o'clock in the morning because you love them. If you go and look at, at verses 7 to 10, you see Paul describe his interactions with the Thessalonian Christians as being like a nursing mother. So if you look at verse 7, it says, we were like children amongst you. There's, there's some dispute as to whether it should say that. Um, the the uh, Greek word for a child that is still nursing, a baby in arms, is, is nepioi. Um, the word for gentle is epioi. Only difference is one letter, a noon, an N. I, th I think, and most of the scholars seem to agree with me on this, um, aren't they lucky that they're right, um, that, that gentle is probably the right word. We were gentle amongst you just as a nursing mother cares for her children. nursing mother who loves her child, who gets up at three in the morning, who not only feeds her child, but then burps her child and changes her child. Um, that's really what Paul is saying he's being like. Despite the cost, he was gentle with them, like a mother with a newborn baby. So Paul talks like, about how he was approved by God as an apostle. In other words, his, his words carried the authority of God himself. Verse 6, chapter 2. He could have come with that, but he didn't. Instead, he was like a father, he was like a mother with the Thessalonian Christians. Now, here's, here's the contrast. Quite often when you read these parts of the Bible, there's a whole lot of stuff that we don't see because we're not in the culture. But here's one of the cultural things that, that he was probably contrasting as he spoke about this. There were this group of itinerant philosophers that went around the Greek world. Um, and they would go from city to city scratching out a living. Now, wisdom was the big thing for the Greeks. That was what they valued above all else. In the same way that we value the wealthy, the famous, 
those who have likes or whatever it is on YouTube. What do you have on YouTube? Subscribers. Thanks, Jono. Subscribers on YouTube. People that have lots of subscribers, those are the people that you, that you, want, to, you want to be like, you want to be around. Those are the people who are influential and valued. If you go back a couple of hundred years, it was the aristocratic classes. If they spoke, you listened. The philosophers in, in Paul's day, the time around Jesus, the time before that and the time after that, they were the ones that everybody wanted to listen to. Now, the good ones settled in schools and taught. Now, you will know some of their names, guys like Plato and Aristotle and Philo. The reason you know their names were, is because they were good, right? If they weren't good, you never would have heard their names. The less good ones used to scratch out a living, traveling around, often the minor cities of the Greek world. And when they got to a city, they would, they would set up shop and they would discourse. They would stand up and argue and talk and speak and convince people of the wisdom that they had. And as they did that, people would see them and be impressed. And as they saw them and were impressed, they would take them into their homes and look after them. And then when they had outstripped their welcome, when they had been seen through, when people had realized they actually were shallow as they sounded at first, they would just move on to the next city and do the the same thing over and over and over again. But have a look at this, verses 3 to 7. For the appeal we make does not spring from error or impure motives, nor are we trying to trick you. On the contrary, we speak as those approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. We're not trying to please men, but God who tests our hearts. You know we never use flattery, nor did we put on a mask to cover up greed. God is our witness. We were not looking for praise from people, not from you or anyone else. Even though as apostles of Christ, we could have asserted authority. Instead, we were like children, young children amongst you, or we were gentle amongst you. See the contrast there? You have these itinerant philosophers there to make a buck. Quite happy to scam, quite happy to to con, pretending to be wise and noble. And you have Paul and Silas and Timothy, like a mother to a newborn, caring, tender, and most important, entirely focused on what their children, what the Thessalonian Christians wanted and needed. In other words, the leadership they exercised wasn't about them. On the contrary, if you look at verse 9, they worked day and night to not be a burden to the Thessalonian church. The system that the itinerant philosophers um, relied on was a system called the patronage system. What would happen was that... um, because the Greeks believed that it was unnoble 
Is that a word? It's a word now. It was not a noble thing to work with your hands. They, they believed that, by and large, that matter was bad and spirit was good, so to do manual things was bad, and, and to work with your brain was good. So unless you were a slave, you really didn't dig or carve or do anything like that. That was left to, to those that had no other option. So very often, rather than work, what people would do is they would go and get themselves what was known as a patron. It was a rich person that was prepared to give them money. But it was an unequal relationship. The person who got the most glory out of it was the patron themselves. So you would have this poorer person living on their largesse and getting money for doing very little other than going, aren't they wonderful? And everybody would look at the patron and go, well, they support X number of people. Aren't they wonderful? Paul refused to engage with that system. So we know he had a trade, as many Jewish men did. We also know that um, he was... Uh, he was educated by the leading rabbi of his day, a guy called Rabbi Gamaliel. It was the equivalent of an Ivy League, Sandstone University, Oxbridge University education that he had. Yet, as, as most people that went through that, as much for theological reasons as practical reasons, he had a trade. Now, Jewish people believed that work was good, so Paul inherited his father's trade. His, his father would have been a leather worker, um, making tents in all probability. And that's what Paul did. So he gets to a town. He didn't only do this in Thessalonica. He did it in many other cities as well. He would get into the town, and instead of relying on the largesse of people in the church to support him so that he wouldn't be accused of being like the itinerant philosophers, he would go and work all day. Six days a week, he would work so that he could go to the synagogue on the Sabbath and talk about Jesus. Gave his all to them, like a father would, like a mother would, towards their children. Even verse 8, he shared his life with them. I think that means that he lived amongst them. It wasn't the sense that he walked in through the doors and then he was on duty and they walked out through the doors and wasn't on duty anymore. He shared his very life with them. Can we get verse 17 up, please? You read verse 17, you'll see the depths of the feeling that he had for them. It says, but brothers and sisters, when we were orphaned by being separated from you for a short time, in person, though not in thought, out of our intense for longing for you, we made every effort to see you. We use the word translated orphans just to mean if you, lo if you lose your parents. The Greek, the Greek word behind that was actually used um, for somebody who had lost their children as well. So what he's saying is that you were like children to us when we couldn't see you. It was like our own children had died. That's how you are to be if you lead in the church. You're to lead like a father, like a mother, caring, loving, sacrificial. 
There's a costly issue. Time cost. A financial cost sometimes. Certainly an emotional cost. Always a relational cost. So what does it look like to lead sacrificially? That's all in verse 12. It means that you encourage those you lead. Encouraging here carries the idea of convincing people that it's worth living a life worthy of God who calls us into his kingdom and glory. It means comforting them, which means convincing them to live a life worthy of God who calls us into his kingdom and glory. It means urging them to live a life worthy of God who calls us into his kingdom and glory. So in this context, can, context encouraging, comforting, and urging end up really meaning the same thing. And the point of saying it three times is to show you exactly how important it is. Three different ways show us that the sacrificial leadership in God's church is always about convincing people to live lives worthy of God. Because that's the highest thing we can ever do and be. What does it mean to live a life worthy of God? Well, think back to what God has paid for you. God didn't just say, your sins don't matter. I'm just going to ignore them. I don't know if your parents were like that. Sometimes they just had pity on you. You did something really stupid, but they just had pity on you and said, okay, it doesn't matter. When God forgives us, it's not that he chooses to look the other way from our sin. He actually pays the cost for our sin. So he gave up that which was most precious to him, his son Jesus, to die for us to die in our place, to set us free from death and fear and anguish and all those things that our sin causes. Now, here's the thing. When he set you free, he set you free for one purpose and one purpose only. He set you free so that you can choose to follow him. Because in following him, you'll have the greatest joy you can ever imagine. This is the model that Paul and Silas saw and copied from Jesus. And it's the model that the Thessalonians model to those around them and model to us. So, and this is the application for this section. If you are leading God's people and you want to be a joy to them as they do it, then make sure you do it gently and sacrificially. Not by not asking anything of them. Not by not challenging them. Not by allowing them to do anything they want. But by wanting what is best for them. That they live a life worthy of God. He calls us into his kingdom and glory. There are much easier ways to lead. Trust me on that. The easiest thing in the world is to let people do what they want to do, when they want to do it, how they want to do it. But that's not what we're called to do if we lead in God's church. We're called to be like a mother, a father with their children, encouraging them to live a life worthy of God 
who calls us into his kingdom and glory. So what about being a joy to those who lead you? Good news is we've covered a lot of the ground already. Is the key to being a joy to those who lead you compliance? Yes, Tom, of course we'll do exactly what you want. Want me to do that? Sure. No. (laughs) Have a look at chapter 3, verses 7 to 10. Have a quick read through that. Your Bibles are up there. I'm not going to read it to you. You can read it up there. So how do you bring joy to those who lead you? You bring joy when you live the life of faith. That's really another way of reading what we saw in chapter 2, verse 12. Living lives worthy of God, who who calls us into his kingdom and glory. The greatest joy you can give to somebody who leads you is to let them see you growing as a Christian, no matter where you are in your Christian walk. Perhaps you're here tonight, um, let's pretend that the stage is a spectrum for a moment. Um, Perhaps you're here on this side, um, you're not at all sure about this Jesus stuff. Okay, I'm not too close to that. Um, you're not at all sure about this Jesus stuff. You don't know um, if, if it's true that he died on the cross for your sins. And if it did, um, you don't know if it matters at all. If that's you, I'm glad you're here. It does matter. I'll talk to you about it afterwards if you want. So... How does somebody like you bring joy to those that lead you? Well, it's a joy when we see you actually thinking it through. When you ask the question, does this actually matter? When you look at your own beliefs and challenge them with the gospel, that makes us really glad because, and you may not think you're doing this, but you are doing it, you're moving that way along the spectrum. So perhaps you believe that Jesus died for your sins, but there are a couple of things in your life that you look at and go, those don't quite gel with my personal beliefs. When Jesus calls these things sin, how can he do that? I love doing them. When you ask those questions, when you look at that, when you think that through, you bring us joy. We love it when people look at their lives and go, well, is this compatible with me? Because every time you ask that question, every time you look at the Bible, every time you think it through, you're stepping closer and closer and closer to God. Perhaps as you are a mature Christian and perhaps as you look at your life, you go, yep, I get Jesus. I love him with all my heart. I want to follow him. But as you're talking, I notice this area of my life that isn't right with him. We love it when you reevaluate that as well. That all brings us fantastic joy. I got, I got an email after last week's sermon saying that what you said to me, actually it wasn't me saying it, it was God saying it, but, but what God was saying changed me. About those emails. They're wonderful. 
And that brings us great joy. In fact, here's, here's a, a, a minister's secret. When we pray for you, what we're praying for you is that God would make you more like Jesus. That God would make you worthy of his calling and worthy of his kingdom. So if you want to bring us joy, don't be compliant. Argue, in fact. If that's going to bring you closer to Jesus, we want to argue with you. We want to fight with you about it. We want to see you become more like Jesus. That's what brings us great joy. Second half of the sermon, or first half of the sermon, just to remind you, leading. If you want to lead and be a joy, lead sacrificially, urge, encourage, comfort the people that you're leading to live a life worthy of God who has called us into his glory. And if you want to be a joy to those you lead, become more like Jesus. Let's pray. Lord God, you're mighty and wonderful, and we thank you for that. We praise you for your grace and mercy to us. We praise you, Father, that that you speak to us through your word, the Bible. Father, I pray for everybody here who leads in your church in whatever capacity or way that may be. Please help them to be a joy to those they lead. And Father, we pray f- I pray also for all of us who follow. Father, may we be a joy to those who lead us as we become more like Jesus. Pray all these things in his precious name. Amen. Stand now and sing if you'd like to join us. Um, this is going to be the offertory song. So-